the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here, the Director of Local Ministries at 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, 93.1 L Ray, The New Talk 1640, and True Talk 800. And did you know that if you coordinate a Financial Peace University class, which means you turn the DVD player on once every uh, week for nine weeks or so, you can go to the class absolutely free. I've got information on the Difference Makers page at True Talk 800 on how to get in touch with Gwen Dirks at DaveRamsey.com. And I've also got a ticket for you, local business owners, and I think you're really going to find it beneficial. It's a free, short, say 40-minute long or so, workshop on marketing, and you could win a $3,000 advertising schedule. There's a limited number of tickets. It's going to be either June 22nd or June 23rd, and that's coming up next Wednesday and Thursday. And a $25 gift certificate at a local restaurant will be going to every business coming out. If you want the details, just send me an email. Mike Lee at kpdq.com is the address. That's Mike Lee at kpdq.com. I'll have to end my week Speaking with interesting people, and who could be more interesting than a couple of longtime show hosts on 93.9 KPDQ? You may have heard them over the years, Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m. They are Joanne and Ron Petrie, the hosts of One to Another, a live call-in show about handling grief. So welcome, Joanne and Ron. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. Doing just just fine. Wanted to thank you so much for coming in. They've got a website you can find out more information at, which is one to another dot org. That's spelling out the number one. One to another dot org. And tell us about the ministry overall, which began back in nineteen seventy nine, Joanne. Well, it started uh when my husband died. I woke up early one morning, and uh, my husband, I thought, was snoring, and I kind of shook him and said, hey, Dwayne, turn over. You're snoring, and he didn't make a sound, and I shook him again and said, hey, honey, maybe you should turn over, and nothing, and so I raced over, turned on the light, and knelt down next to him, and his face was a gray-green color. And I knew that something major had happened. So I raced to the phone, called 911, asked them to come. I said, I believe my husband's had a heart attack. And they arrived soon. And um, they, we had to go to the hospital, which was close to our home. And they pronounced him dead. And he was 46 years old. And I was 45. And that's when my life changed completely. And never expecting my husband of 25 years to die at the age of 46. You know what? We're not promised anything, but 
I think the average person, that's just way too young unless you're expecting something from an ongoing health issue or there's a car crash or something major like that when it comes to an incident. So did you have any inkling whatsoever? Well, he had had open heart surgery in his early 30s. And, uh, you know, we had kind of joked about the fact that if anything ever did happen to him, I would go off to Hawaii, buy a black bathing suit and grieve. Well, <laughs> haha, that was as far from anything that I ever thought about doing. But we really never talked about it. We were very active in our church, very active in our community. We had a daughter who was a senior in high school. And so, you know, we were really feeling like we were in the most exciting part of our life. So, you know, that changed. So how was it for your daughter in particular at at this stage? Was she completely blindsided? It broke her heart. It absolutely broke her heart. She and her dad were very close. She was adopted when she was three days old. And so she and her dad had a special relationship as daughter and dad, and it was devastating to Amy. She just had the, she, I mean, she just cried and cried and cried. And it was hard for her to even finish high school. I had a hard time getting her to complete her studies so she could graduate, and she did. But life changed for both of us when uh, Dwayne died, and I somehow wrote in my in my journal one day that grief is a process of putting back together the pieces of a broken heart, a hole so deep in the middle of your heart that it aches and hurts, and you think it'll never stop hurting. And that's what we were experiencing in our home, this deep pain and this deep uh, feeling like, how are we ever going to go on without him? And it's not easy to answer that question. It's tough to know how to go on after you've been married to someone for 25 years. And, you know, Amy's dad was dead. So um, we had to learn a lot about um, working together as mother and daughter and learning how to walk through that deep sunless valley of the shadow of death. What kind of support did you and your daughter have at this point when your late husband had surprisingly passed away, Joanne? Well, you know, at that time when, before he died, we were very active in a lot of things, but it was interesting. Um, after he died, I can remember Amy saying to me, Mom, what's the matter with us? Do we have a dreaded disease? How come people aren't talking to us? How come people aren't um, inviting us to their house for dinner? What's happened? And I said, Amy, we have what is called, a, I said, we have a dreaded disease, and it's called grief. And so, you know, we had to learn how to begin to walk without Dwayne and how to begin to relate to people. And some of the people that I thought was were going to support us didn't. It was the people that I never thought would that did. It was amazing to me. I was given the privilege at the last minute of being an adjunct professor at Corbin. And so many of the young people I got to encounter said, I want to work in ministry. And that's noble. And at the same time, if God 
calls you into ministry, I would argue that getting out of bed and doing what's in front of you is ministry in your own house. My old church used to have these signs up above the exit as you walked out, and those signs read, you are now entering the mission field. Mm-hmm. So it's sad, but it's fairly honest of a view of us as men and women in the church that we fail each other. Mm-hmm. We'd like to think that we're on a higher plane, but especially when you look at all of the grief and loss in the news that we uh-huh. hear about lately, we fail each other left and right. And sometimes we just want to do something so incredibly grandiose that we don't take care of what's right in front of our noses. So just speaking as a regular person. And when I say church, I don't think of a building and I don't think of a particular denomination. I think of brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we need to apologize to the mourning and the grieving for when we don't know what to say. And we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that we don't do anything. That's true. And, and when that happens, what impression did that give you and your daughter, Joanne, after the loss of your husband? Well, we thought they didn't care. And so uh, that was really hard because um, we, I mean, I knew people loved us and I knew that, that we did have a strong support of people, but all of a sudden, where were they? And I can remember having a good, two good friends that were husband and wife that were really good friends of ours and they didn't show up at our house. And so about, I would say maybe seven days after Dwayne died, I called him on the phone. And I said, hey, this is Joanne. And I said, where are you? And they go, well, what do you mean? I said, we've always, we've been good friends for 20 years. Where are you? They said, we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. So we decided we would do nothing. So I said to them, I'll give you 20 minutes to get over to the house because (laughs) we need you. And they were there. Good for you. Good for you. So was was it a... a harrowing experience for your friends to admit that they did nothing because they were afraid. Yeah, it was. And the other the other thing was is that some people did come along and give advice, advice that I w- would never have taken. And, you know, people do say things and they mean it with all their heart. They, they mean, mean it. well, but... <clears throat> but it, it's, not, it's not supportive when you're going through it. I had no. one gal come to the house the day that uh, Dwayne died, and she had this big, thick envelope. And I greeted her at the door, and she came in, and she says, I, I want to read something to you. And she opened up these pages and started reading scriptures. I mean, scripture after scripture. And I stopped her, and I said, you know, I'm sorry, but I cannot handle this right now. I appreciate what you've done. But the greatest thing you could do for me right now is just give me a hug. And she was dumbfounded. In our final minute before break, Ron and Joanne Petrie, especially today when there are so many people grieving mm. the loss of a loved one or maybe of a dream or a complete stranger or maybe it's a musician they used to admire – what would you say to encourage them when well-meaning people say something incredibly stupid? Well, I would say <laughs> when they say something incredibly stupid, I usually just put my arm around them and say, um, you know, I thank you for what you're sharing with me, but that doesn't really help right now. 
what helps is if you can just say, what could I do to be a support to you right now? Great expert advice from Joanne and Ron Petrie of One to Another. It's a radio ministry airing live from 4 to 5 p.m. Saturdays on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. We do live in a hard world, but there is faith and there is hope and there are practices that you can put into play that will better help you and your loved ones handle grief. More information at the website, one to another.org. That's one to another.org. And more with Joanne and Ron Petrie of One to Another next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My dear friend James Blend is across the glass, and I think God's got a really good sense of humor. This is actually not the original date that we had planned on getting together to interview Joanne Petrie, who is the founder and director of One to Another, a call-in ministry program about handling grief, airing Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m. on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ, along with her husband and the co-host of One to Another, Ron Petrie. And what we find ourselves as we rescheduled is, is a weekend of Father's Day, and you're sharing how difficult it was to be a surprise single mom when your husband, Dwayne, passed away at age 46, leaving you uh, as a single mom to a high school girl who just loved her daddy, and, and they were really tight. So can you tell us, what did Dwayne do that was so right in his relationship with his daughter? throughout her years of you adopting her at age three days to being a high school girl. The thing that he did the most for her was I think he loved her with such unconditional love that he started early in their relationship having date night. Even when she was pretty young, they would choose choose a special night and they would go out, just the two of them. And it was their time to talk about anything they wanted to talk about and they did that until he died. That was one of the things. That so what's a good idea for fathers of daughters like myself who need to purposely, intentionally, and deliberately go out and plan a one-on-one daddy-daughter date as opposed to in match with the rest of the family? Well, he would just they would decide where they wanted to go. Mostly had to do with eating. They always wanted to find some place to eat and then They would talk. They didn't go to the movies. You know, they just talked. And and when they'd finished their talking, I can remember uh, Amy saying, you know, Mom, the thing I love most about my dad is after we'd have our dates, he'd always give me the biggest hug and he'd always tell me he loved me. And I think that was something that she grew up knowing without a doubt that her dad loved her no matter what. The other thing he did for her, when she was uh, old enough, he taught her how to drive. And very patient man, let her drive everywhere with him. And I would say that was another bonding time for her when she was a teenager. He'd just say, come on, let's go. And he would just take her out and they would drive and drive and talk. Those were two things that I remember that were very important to her as, uh, as you know, she uh, remembered her dad. So fellow dads of daughters, we recently spoke with Dr. Michelle Watson about her 
dad-daughter book. And now we're speaking with Joanne Petrie of One to Another. And Joanne's suggestions would be deliberate one-on-one daddy-daughter dates, going out to eat is good, conversation is good versus going to a movie and sitting for two hours not talking at all. So that's a good thing. And making our daughters know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are loved. And God wires them differently. So maybe that would come across verbally with one daughter or a big hug with another one or doing an activity together with another still. So I'm glad that your late husband, Dwayne, was able to get so close to your daughter, Amy. And can you tell us how it was for you speaking with these friends, being a young widow, when some people just dropped off the face of the earth, not knowing how to help you grieve? Well, it, um, I just had to realize that I, I had to develop some new friends. And I wondered how I was going to do that. I was very young. I was 45. Almost all of my friends were married. And so how in the world would I begin to build a support group again? And so what I decided is that I began to um, meet women who were single. I met them at church. I met them any place I went. I found out that there were some other people that were single. They may not have been a, a widow, but they were single. So what I did, it sounds maybe kind of crazy, but I invited them all over to my home for dinner. At that time, we had a pretty good-sized house. And I said, I want you to come over for the evening and have dinner with me, and let's talk. And so they came over, and we just began to talk and talk about what kind of support do we need, how could we help each other. And that started something that I continued to do for a long time, was just have, have groups of women over, and let's talk and let's support each other. So that was one of the things I did. And did it have to be anything formal or fancy, or was it just breaking bread together in conversation? The first meal that I had with him, I had a pot roast, and it was horrible. It was burned. Everything, (laughs) the dessert was horrible. So I just got out the ice cream and said, hey, let's just eat tons of ice cream. I'm not kidding. The dinner was awful. And I'm a pretty good cook. But that's what happened. And so, you know, we just decided, keep it simple, And, you know, bring some stuff. If you can cook, if you make a good salad, bring a salad. If you don't like salad, bring something else. But I tried to make it simple. I tried to make it informal. But my key was let's talk about where we are, what can we do for each other, and where do you need help? And it worked. And it eventually ended up. And I started, actually, it ended up for me starting a group called Friend to Friend, which I still have today. And I I bring women together, any kind of woman who wants to learn how to be a friend or knows uh, wants to have a friend. Once a month, I just bring women together from uh, September through May. And I teach on friendship. We talk about friendship. We learn about friendship. We our friends, I have some good food and some, uh, usually it's a continental breakfast and I charge $5 for it. And it's just been an ops, a really good place to begin to develop people in your life that make a difference. So where are you finding these women? Where am I finding them? Well, mm-hmm. I find, they, they find her. <laughs> I find them in, uh, you know, grief classes that I teach because I teach grief classes on a regular basis. Wherever I am, 
um, if I'm in some home with a family and say, would, you know, might be interested in, you know, getting involved in the, in a, a friend to friend. I talk about it on the radio. I, the friends that come tell about it to other friends, sort of word of mouth. So what's the ideal size for such a gathering for a friend to friend? We have usually between 35 and 40. That's good. That's good. And are you still meeting, as the website says, at Tualatin Foursquare Church? Yes, we are. Uh-huh. Okay. But that's for that only, though. That is for friend to friend. Right. And if you'd like more information on that, you could simply go to the website one to another dot org and click on the friend to friend tab. But what else do you have coming down the pike, Ron and Joanne, that you'd like to share about? Oh, we want to talk about our classes that are coming up because, uh, you know, July is just around the corner. And I teach two classes, and one of the classes is through Bristol Hospice. I still am a hospice chaplain. I've been a hospice chaplain for 29 years. Wow. And did that begin right after you'd become a widow or what? Um, a few years after I became a widow. Mm-hmm. I ended up helping a, a widow, and she was a hospice nurse. And I helped her through the grieving process, through the grief class. And she went to her uh, boss and said, you know, I've met this Joanne lady, and I think she'd be a great hospice chaplain. Why don't you interview her? So I went in for the interview, and I got hired. And so from there, I started teaching grief classes through, um, through hospice. And I'm in Bristol Hospice. And the class that I teach is on Wednesday nights. No, no, no. sorry, Wednesdays from one thirty to 3.30. And it starts on July 6th. And the location is Barry Park. And that's in Oregon City. And that's 13669 South Gaffney Lane in Oregon City. Now, the class is sponsored by Bristol Hospice. And so there's no charge. They cover the charge. Oh, how wonderful. What a great way to reach the community. I know. Isn't that great? And people come from all over, but they do need to pre-register. And it is mandatory that they come to the first class. Um, The second class I'm going to be teaching will be at Rolling Hills. And that class starts on July 7th. And that is from 630 to 830. That's a Thursday night. Yep, that's Thursday night, and it's at Rolling Hills. There is a fee of $10 to take that class. It's a five-week course, and I really help men and women walk through the grieving process. And it is a way to learn some really good tools on how to walk through grief. And, you, you know, it, um, it, it's the fact that you have to learn some skills to really walk through the grieving process, and I teach those. Ron, what do you say about the classes? It's a process and a... It's a process and a content. Uh, the thing that Joanne has developed over the 29 years that she's been doing this is she's developed a curriculum and a process that works with the curriculum, and I can speak about it because I went through it myself, and I've seen literally... Thousands of people over the last 29, 18 years for me, because we've been married 18 years, uh, go through the process and see them come out at the other other end on the way to new normal, what we call new normal. And so it's it's a it's a very important uh, class. I can't recommend it enough. 
because like I say, I've seen what it's done. I saw what it did for me. All right, Ron, uh, I'll give you one minute. Tell me, uh, sell me your grief release class and why you, we need to take it. Well, uh, because there's, there's a process and a content that she has developed that helps people get from where they're at to the next phase in their life in moving on in their life to, to new normal. And, and so it's imperative that you put yourself in a position. It's extremely difficult for men to go through the grieving process because we are so guarded about our abilities to uh, be emotional and to show our emotions because we're trained culturally not to do that. And so it's very difficult to do that. So it's, it's great for men. And we're seeing kind of an increase in men coming to class. But for a long time, I would be with, in the classes with Joanne, and I teach part of the class, and there would be no men at all. And in the last class that Joanne had, she had 10 men in it, which is really unusual for them to come along. But there's more and more men now starting to realize that this can help them too, as well as to help women. Great words of encouragement from Joanne and Ron Petrie. They are the co-hosts of the program, One to Another, a live call-in program about handling grief. Heard Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m. on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. Let's figure out how they met in the first place when we return to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You are listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and I'm privileged to be across the desk from... A couple of hosts of One to Another, a live call-in program about handling grief. You'll hear it Saturday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ. We've heard a lot about Joanne Petrie's story of shockingly losing her late husband, Dwayne, at age 46 with a high school-aged daughter. And what I want to know right now is, Joanne, Ron, how did you two meet in the first place before you became hosts of One to Another? Do you want to talk about that, Joanne? (laughs) Well, I think you should tell about why you got in the grief class, and then I could talk about it. Okay. Well, my wife and I, I lived out in Estacado in Christmas Tree Farm, and one of my neighbors was having a surprise birthday party for one of uh, his wife. And at the Grange Hall. And, and so we had this big party, and there was about 300 people there. And we had good m- music and dancing and good food and all that good kind of stuff. And my wife and I loved to dance, and her name was Joyce. And we danced a couple of slow dances. And on the third dance, which was a fast dance, we kind of really did our thing. And at the end of the dance, she looked up at me and smiled and dropped dead as we went to walk off the dance floor. And uh, that was uh, certainly a traumatic experience for me uh, at that particular time. And I went into deep grief. I was very suicidal. Uh, I couldn't imagine living without her and uh, uh, moving on in my life. And uh, I used to go over to my neighbors, other neighbors, and every morning, and they'd have coffee, and they would listen to me, and I would cry and... and, uh, Go through, and finally they heard something on the radio, and they said that there was this grief class, and maybe I should take that grief class. It might help. And so uh, I'm I'm a retired educator, and I know the uh, the advantage of going and getting some help like that. So I took the class, and Joanne was the teacher, 
And I took the class, and at the end of the class, uh, I started dating some, they had introductions in the newspaper type of thing, and I started dating. And I was going for counseling to Joanne about all of that. So About these women that you about, were dating. About these women I was dating. <laughs> so I'll turn it over to you from there, Joanne, okay. what happened. Well, when he finished the grief class, you know, he was talking about these women he was going out with. And I thought, this is a really great guy. He's going to get married, even though he's had this horrendous loss. He's going to get married pretty soon because a lot of men really uh, marry from four to six months after they have a... 50% of all men remarry within three to six months after the loss of their wife. So, Ron, when your wife had passed on at this party on the dance floor, I'm sorry to hear. How long had you known or how long were you together at this stage? We were together 20 years at that particular time when she died. And uh, uh, she was the epitome of health. She looked great. And I went through such terrible grief because I couldn't, what did I miss? What did I not see? Why, Why did this happen? You know, type of thing. So I had a lot of personal guilt that I had missed something or done something wrong. Did you have any confidants or close friends or family around you to, to nope. help set you straight saying, look, nope. it was her time. This wasn't your fault. This nope. isn't like you missed something. No, it. I'll, I'll tell you, when men are a lot different than women in, in the grieving process in terms of what they go through. And for, for me, I withdrew and my loneliness was just overwhelming. In addition to my wife dying, my mother and my sister died within the next two months. And so I had a compounding of of the thing, and I was really in a very very tough place at that time. But uh, I my loneliness was driving me uh, mad, and that's what drives men into looking for uh, a new relationship. And there there's some real pros and cons with all that because it can lead to some real significant difficult problems because you don't really you haven't worked through your grief. Before and you jump into another, on to the next relationship. Yeah, and, and that can result in, in high, very high levels of divorce and a lot of other problems that go along with all of that. Ron but, Petrie, co-host of One to Another, if there's a gentleman out there right now who's rebounding, whether it's from losing a spouse or a breakup or, or, a or divorce, anything, yeah. or divorce, yeah. what piece of advice would you be able to give him? Come and take the grief class. It will help you to get to the point where you have some stability and understanding of what you've gone through and what you need to to do to continue to grow and develop and to become a new person and new normal. So, Dwayne, uh, Ron finished the grief class and yeah. he you know, he was telling me he was dating all these women <laughs> and so he I decided that he was be a really good catch. So I called him on the phone and said, "Hey, I'm coming out to Estacada. I have a patient out there, and I would love to see your farm. I am not a farmer. I'm a city slicker, but I wanted to see this farm. So he said, well, come on out, and I'll take you to lunch, and then you can see my farm. So I thought, you you know, I'll do that. So after lunch, I met him. I, I followed him out to his farm, and in a minute, I saw his absolutely gorgeous, beautiful farmhouse. I thought, 
oh my goodness, I could live on this farm. I didn't tell him that. So he showed but me But you were around. a city slicker, Tarant Petrie. I'm a city slicker. I, I'm picturing Jata Gabor in Green yeah, Acres. Yeah, 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 right. There you go. So he took me through his whole farmhouse, and I just really thought it was wonderful. So then he took me in his truck around the 36 acres, and he was showing me all these Christmas trees, and we were just coming back to the farmhouse, and I said, Ron... I want to say something to you. And he said, okay. And I said, well, I know you're dating and I'd like to put my name in the hat. And it was the first time I've ever heard him be quiet. (laughs) I mean, he was so quiet. He didn't know what to say. And I thought, "Uh oh, I think I've done something I shouldn't have done. So as soon as we got up to the farmhouse, I said, I got to go. Hopped in my car, got lost out there. And four days later, he calls me up and says, hey, did you really mean that? You want to put your name in the hat? And I said, I do. I really would like to uh, get to know you better. And he said, well, how about if we go out for dinner? And I said, that's a deal. So we did. And then he began to reveal to me that, you know, he did not feel like he was religious, that he hadn't had a very good experience in church And for probably a 100 hours on the phone, we talked about the difference between being religious and spiritual. And it brought us to a really good understanding of what really accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior is all about. And he said that he was ready to do that. And so I went out one day, he had a hot tub, and I had the privilege to baptize him in his hot tub. And uh, he made some incredible decisions to, to change some of his life. And it wasn't long after that that I was taking 30 women to Alaska <laughs> on a cruise. Funny. And so he asked me if I would marry him and would you like to get married on the cruise? And I said, well, you know, I'm... I'm rooming with my daughter because Amy's gone. And he says, well, maybe I better go and have a little talk with Amy. So he did. And Amy thought that would be just great if he found uh, her another roommate on the cruise and that we would make our uh, wedding vows on the ship before it left. And so we got married on the cruise and we had 30 women with us that were there at our wedding. I had a harem. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how wonderful. Well, you've been married since 1997, so God bless you and congratulations. Now I think you can let the rest of the story out safely, Ron. How much did you pay off Amy (laughs) to get the rum that she was sharing with her mom? It was really interesting because uh, I think Amy and I get along really well, and we've had a good relationship uh, I think the the most important thing on it was that I didn't, you know, push on her or try to dominate her in any way, shape, or form. I kind of let Amy come to me. I, I kind of left the door open. And so we've developed a good relationship over the years, and it's a, it's a very uh, compatible type of situation. She knows I love her, and I think she loves me. It's not like her father, and it never will be, but by the same token, I I think I have found a spot with her and been able to make a good relationship with her. But I think it was just, you know, not push, just let it work. So, Ron, Peter, 
uh, am I correct in assessing that your best advice for someone who is, say, a second father figure or a stepdad type figure would be to not give too much pressure? I would say absolutely. You know, you have to kind of pick and choose and look for your openings in terms of your ability to be supportive or to be helpful uh, when it's needed, but not to push and to... uh, and in, in certainly in that case, it was, I, th- I think, Amy accepting me. It Would was, you say so, Joanne? Yeah, it was very interesting. Amy had to have surgery a year ago, and we were at the hospital with her the whole time. And the doctor thought that Ron was her real dad and said, your dad has been so supportive. He's been here all this time with you. And Amy said, well, you know what? That's my stepfather. And yeah. nobody... Everybody and the whole medical team was very surprised. So that shows how he has won her heart. What a great story from Joanne Petrie and Ron Petrie. They are the co-hosts of One to Another, a live call-in program that helps you handle grief Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m. on 93.9. KPDQ absolutely loved, loved, loved to hear your story about how you did meet. And despite the fact that not just one, but both of you lost and had to grieve and grow past the loss of a long-time love, and yet still God had plans for you afterwards. I think it's a good word of encouragement for anyone who's gone through loss, so thank you. Well, yeah. I, I, when we come back on it, I'd like to comment a little bit, if I could, on what you just said. We're going to do that with Ron and Joanne Petrie yeah. of One to Another Next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Thank you for joining Difference Makers on True Talk 800, as well as listening to One to Another Live Saturdays from 4 to 5 on our sister station, 93.9 KPDQ, featuring the hosts, Joanne and Ron Petrie. So I've loved hearing your stories about being able to work through grief and work past the loss of a spouse. But are being a widower and a widow the only losses or separations that you encountered? No, <laughs> not really. Uh, I went through a divorce and uh, uh, before I married my late wife, and uh, that certainly brought on a bunch of different types of problems in, in relationships. And, and Joanne went through a divorce after she lost her husband that lasted five years, and her husband, uh, the new husband that she had, walked out on her after five years, and it was a crushing blow. And there's difficulties in, in divorce that are not the same as In some ways, it's more difficult to go through a divorce than it is to go through the loss of somebody because when they you lose somebody and it's it's through death, you have a sense that they loved them and they loved you. But when you go through a divorce, that's not the same thing. And and, and there's a lot of other baggage related to divorce. Well, one of the things that Ron that we developed before we ever decided to get married was that we decided that we would be very good friends and our friendship developed where we could talk to each other. We listened to each other and we really developed something that was what we called soul relationship before we ever, ever talked about getting married. And so one of the things that I talk about in a seminar that we're going to have it's called Journeys of Hope, and it's going to be on October 15th. We have two of them. The one on October 15th, I'm going to talk about how to build better friendships. Can single men and women be just friends? Okay, answer your question. 
Can single men and women indeed be just friends? Only if they have very strong boundaries. And if they don't, the answer is no. If they do, the answer is yes. And it really, and I like to talk about the boundaries and why you have to have some. It's very important in relationships with the opposite sex that you have some boundaries because it's easy to slip over those boundaries and move into something that then you'll be sorry for. There are so many classes out there fixing things like financial stewardship, uh, celebrate recovery, addiction, singles clubs, and things like that. Why do we avoid things like learning how to be a better friend? What are we afraid of? Or are we not thinking about friendship? Are we thinking about, you know, oh, I want the one. Yeah. Well, men are attracted to women on the basis of looks, you know, and that's what that's all about. And uh, and it's it's usually related to sexual desires and stuff. And so we tend to skip over the concepts that are most important. And, and like I said to many people, I like Joanne way before I loved her. And I think that's an important, really important concept, especially if you're looking for a long-term relationship that will last. If you had to take a guesstimate, what percentage of America in couples would you think became friends before they became spouses? Do you think it's not enough? There's, Too a, many? 65% can, can guess? There's a 65% divorce rate. What would that tell you? Ouch. See, you know, and, and it, I think a lot of it is because of that, that they get together because of the, the, the sexual part of it. And that usually lasts a couple of years. And then after that, they start looking at one another in terms of, of gee, is there anything else there besides the sexual part? And, of course, if there's not, then, then you're in real trouble. I think one of the things that has been so wonderful between our relationship is that uh, Ron really chose to begin to build his own spiritual relationship. And he goes to a men's Bible study. We go to church together. We do we do some things together that really do help us. And he does some things for himself. What we've practiced ever since we've been married is that before we go to sleep each night, we count our blessings together. And we try to count five apiece and find out what it is that we've been thankful for, share those. And when we share those, that seems to cement things that have happened during the day that we didn't know the other one was involved in. And honestly and truly, it's wonderful to go to sleep with a thankful heart. And one of the concepts that I teach in the grief class is to really begin to count your blessings, see what you have instead of what you don't have. And this year I decided I gave myself a personal challenge and I wanted to see if personally I could do a thousand thank yous and no duplicates. And right now I'm on 1,419 and I write them down every day because I have found personally from all the challenges I go through as a hospice chaplain, all the deaths that I walk through, all the opportunities that I have with people that are grieving, for me personally, I have found if I can count my blessings personally, write them down, then when something starts to squeeze into me that makes me start to get discouraged, I can look down and say, wait a minute, this is what I wrote. And today I wrote... I was thankful for the plant person who kept the plants looking healthy on the third floor where our office resides. 
I was thankful for getting to my patient's home on time. Reading a new book, a chance, uh, a new book called A Chance in the World, cleaning my desk, buying classic clothes, finding two good reasons to do something, Ron's willingness to have food ready for dinner, holding hands when we go out for our daily walk. And I was thankful for the last one for zip codes. But you see, it's not the big things. And I think that when we're in the middle of grief, that we're so overwhelmed with what's happening to us, that we forget that there's still good in our life that we can hold on to that will help us walk through it and someday see some light. And I believe that if you want to, if you honestly truly want to see how to walk through grief, I believe you have to learn the tools, you have to work them through, and you have to find a group to be accountable to. And I think you need to learn to count your blessings. So what's the first step? We've got about two and a half minutes or so. Can you give us the big picture, Joanne Petrie? You better talk about well, I think the first step is, is enrolling in a grief class. And I do have a support group that I teach twice a month, too, and that's in Oregon City. And that's a good place to come and begin to talk about grief. And that's um, the it's on the second and fourth Thursdays of each month from 1.30 to 3 at the Oregon City Pioneer Community Center. I think the first step is you got to admit you need help. And then I think you have to go find some help. And then I think you need to be in a group where you can have some accountability, where you can find out that other people are feeling exactly or somewhat what you're feeling. And you find that there's a common bond in grief where you can work through things together. So I think it's important to be honest enough with yourself to say, I really need help. And I think a lot of us aren't willing to admit that. And so I think those are some things that need to happen beginning and then to get some help and then walk through, decide that you will do what you need to do to walk through the deep valley and come on the other side and have some new hope in your life. New normal is believing that there is life after death. There's life after divorce. There's life after disappointment. There's life after all kinds of challenges that we never expected to see, there's life after them. But you can't go from A to Z without going through all the alphabet. You have to do it. There's so, no way to skip. So, friends, no matter what you may be grieving, loss of a loved one or of a dream, the last thing you want to do is shutter yourself in and be an island unto yourself. Go out, have that conversation, seek help. And if you go to the truetalk800.com website and click on the Difference Makers page, you can find the link to Joanne and Ron Petrie's ministry. One to Another Live airs Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m. on 93.9 KPDQ. You can call in and speak with Ron and Joanne. It's about handling grief, and it's about knowing that there is a new normal, no matter what God has already seen you through. So don't lose hope, friends. And I just want to say, Ron, Joanne Petrie, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.